Welcome to the State of Fem Art Podcast, a space where we drive conversations around what it means to be woman creatively and artistically in today's industry. A place where women from various walks of life share their experiences, triumphs, and obstacles as they navigate the state of the world and their creativity. This is a safe space. One where women are celebrated for being fearlessly and unapologetically them. It is a space of belonging for those who feel their artistic and creative endeavors have gone unseen, unheard, or unsupported. But here you will also get resources and tools to help you reach your next level. We'll laugh together, cry together, but more importantly, we'll grow together. I am Tamia Faulkner, and this is The State of Fem Art. What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The State of Fem Art podcast. I'm so excited to have today's guest, Ms. Janisha Jones. She's the Director of Strategic Integration and Operations at Empire. Also, she's the creator of Pub Royalty Queen podcast and just all around a multi-hyphenate. She's a classically trained musician, singer, songwriter, and basically like a goat. So without further ado, hey, Janisha, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tamia, and thank you so much for having me. It's really a privilege to be here, and I appreciate the invite to tell my story. Absolutely. I'm so excited to chat with you. And one of the reasons being, I just feel you're such a stand um, for independent artists, as well as just women uh, within the music industry, which I love. And so I'm excited for us to get into our conversation. How I want to start here. How did you start within um, your path to being in the entertainment industry, specifically music? Was it's something that you always had a passion for growing up, or is it something you kind of fell into? Absolutely. Yeah. So actually, I grew up a um, pageant girl. Um, I competed in talent competitions since I was five years old. Um, initially, it was in dance, but obviously you need music for dance or not necessarily, but Uh, Music just kind of took over for me. So from the time I was in elementary school all the way through high school, I had been classically trained as a violinist. I self-taught myself piano, and then I was um, uh, a classically trained opera singer in college. So I've had cultivated uh, essentially the, the performance aspect of music from a very young age and just being exposed to the entertainment world through the pageantry um, and seeing what was available to me as a, as a young Black girl in the in a, in a inner city um, gave me the opportunity to see what I could, what I could become. And um, I honor that now as an adult, you know, uh, working with women of color in the music industry and helping us to uh, cultivate an environment where we can, uh, we can see each other grow in multifaceted areas in this, in this business. That's amazing. So basically what you're saying is you've always had an ear for music. I don't think that's something that you just wake up and can do. So are you a prodigy of, of sorts? Uh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say all of that. I think um, <laughs> when you're passionate about something, you tend to just like, uh, you try to find as many ways as possible to learn about it. And so 
you know, I, I had an ear for music um, since I was young and I've always been around musicians. Uh, I may not have had, you know, the resources at the time to have private instructors or anything like that. And But my parents always uh, supported me in, in providing the tools that I needed to make sure that I could fuel my passion. So my dad, for instance, um, by the time I was 16 years old, bought me my first digital audio workstation so that, you know, when I'm on my keyboard, I can, you know, start producing. And then they both learned about the music business enough to um, help me to register my songs through the performance rights organization. So I think I just, I had some supportive parents <laughs> and people that surrounded me that were able to give me the tools and, and uh, the knowledge I needed to to see it through. And uh, so no, not a prodigy, but just having, just having a true passion for the craft. Yeah. How do you feel being multifaceted and really engaging with performing arts and uh, performing music at such a young age helps to contribute to what you do now? In so many ways. I think there are a lot of people in the music industry that are just in there as you know, they just love listening to music. And so, you know, it, it fills their soul in that way. But as an executive and someone who advocates for the creator, um, seeing it from the performance side gives me a little bit more of an edge. I think when I'm when I'm hearing uh, the music, I can actually pinpoint what's um, what's actually considered good music, um, not necessarily um, all the time worried about what's being marketable. Um, or quote unquote market marketable in this business um, and being able to tap into just true talent and authenticity, which I think is really missing um, in today's world. But yeah, I think uh, just having a deeper understanding of the craft helps me to tap into people that are really, you know, interested in learning the history of music and, and tapping into what it takes to to represent music well. It's so beautiful to have that duality because you see with the eye of the, the artist and the you know creative, but you also see the business side of things. And I want to get into your background. You went to Full Sail University. You have a million degrees um, that are specialty degrees. So can you tell us a little bit about your um, background in within the music industry, but also just your experience knowing that you wanted to pursue education also within the music and entertainment industry as far as the business side. Definitely. Yeah. So I actually um, had several opportunities uh, before entering college to promote myself as an artist, but I always valued education and frankly, I, I always just wanted to have that college experience. I didn't want to rob myself of that. Um, and at the time, people that I looked up to as performers had started school at some point and then decided not to continue. So it just kind of felt like the right thing to do. Um, ultimately, it turned out to be the best thing because I learned how to better position myself as an artist by going to school. Um, initially, I had gone to a study, like I mentioned, opera studies at uh, Florida International University in Miami. Um, and then a couple years later, decided to transfer to Full Sail University because I realized that really learning about the business side of it was where I was going to find more longevity in my career, um, especially because at the time, the industry was changing from a physical to digital format. So it was a bit of an uncertainty of um, how the performance aspects would actually play out. 
So I just realized that, you know, Full Sail was offering coursework that would allow me to learn about the interest, intricacies of the business. And it turned out to be the best decision ever. I mean, uh, it's an accelerated program. And so I graduated with my associates in recording arts, my bachelor's in music business, and my master's in entertainment business within three years. Um, and that's something that uh, I think also speaks to just me wanting to really be in this industry, be in this industry. And, um, and also uh, what I loved about going to school and, and, and that opportunity was that I was able to network with like-minded individuals who now like 360 moments are happening where I'm seeing them thrive and we're in the same rooms now bossing it up and able to give each other our you know accolades because we saw each other come up. Um, from the ground level. So uh, it's amazing. I would advocate for school, although as a, as a data scientist and someone who researches um, whether or not that has any real significant impact on your career in the music industry, in particular as a woman of color, it doesn't necessarily have any real impact, but um, I think everyone's experience is different. One of the the things that were, were discovered in my research were that women of color who attended school didn't necessarily find that it had any significant impact on their careers. Um, but I think everyone's experience is, is different. And for me, um, it was just amazing to be able to uh, learn more about the business before entering into the workforce. And uh, it really prepared me for where I am today. I think it's giving you a great advantage, even as far as the advocacy work that you do on behalf of your artists, because Empire is an independent label, correct? Yes, it is. So for our listeners here, um, because I've heard you break this down before, and I know everybody doesn't always have that um, insight. What is the difference between a major label and an independent label? There are quite a few differences. Um, one of the very first lessons that I've learned in the industry was that uh, majors tend to focus on the bottom line. And for most people, that bottom line is the cost of, um, of uh, investing in, in an artist. And, uh, and therefore, the decisions that they are making are aligning more in terms of how are they going to make their money back. And that doesn't always uh, translate well when you're looking at the performance aspect of it or seeing what's going to sell um, in the long run. Um, it's very much more about a fast paced, quick buck type of situation. Whereas I feel like independent routes uh, empower artists a lot more. They give them the opportunity to tap into resources that they might not have. Although their resources might be a little bit smaller than a, a larger um, or a major label. Um, the independent um, route tends to give artists more creative freedom and now um, also offer artists to maintain the rights to their music. So uh, establishing more longevity in their careers as a business person, not just as a creative. That's That's so dope, especially in a time where you see different artists, I mean, major artists trying to get their masters back and, you know, gain that ownership and, and control of just what they've created. Right. And I think one of the things that I want to ask you, just because I see your passion, especially when it comes to just, you know, music publishing and, 
um, rights and just the business side of things. What are some of the things that you feel artists going in who want to pursue a career in music and make their um, music something that they do full time? What are some of the tips or words of wisdom that you can offer to them as far as things to consider before they just leap in or before they get, you know, those sparks in their eyes from people who may come and, and it seems like they're being offered the world, but what are some things that they should know before sort of taking that leap to make this a full-time thing? Uh, well, this might speak to just anyone in general um, is to really tap into what makes you special. I think everybody has something that um, is unique about them um, and that can offer itself to create gaining interest from your audience or people that you're looking to tap into. Um, but in order for you to sell sell a story or a product to someone, you have to know who you are and you have to you have to know what you have what you're bringing to the table and that's anyone it doesn't matter who you if you're an artist or just someone in the corporate world or you know just just personally when you're out in the world building your relationships um you have to know what you're selling and learn how to market yourself as a person so aside from knowing your story and knowing what you're bringing to the table know that the music industry is a long game um, yeah, there are opportunities to invest and get your music distributed quickly. Um, but if you're looking for, for an opportunity to become a household name or, you know, what you want your music to resonate with larger audiences, it takes time and you got to really put the work in because especially now when there are so many different types of channels, uh, you know, where you can discover new artists and, and listen to mu new music constantly, there's just so much access that uh, you're competing against a lot of <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people releasing music. So um, I would say, you know, be in it, be in it to win it for the long run. Um, if you don't have a passion for it, you know, you're probably not going to sustain in the industry again because you're competing with a lot of different people. Um, but if you really know yourself and your story and you're connecting with your audience uh, locally, especially like get your your city on the map before you try to take on the world, uh, um, then I think that would lend itself to you actually having uh, longevity in this business. Speaking of putting your city on the map, I know you're a Jersey girl, so you're from the East Coast. How has that evolution of you know, Janisha being in New Jersey and then coming to LA and evolving over time within your career, right? Because you don't become a music executive overnight. There are different things that happen throughout just your growth, um, both personally and professionally. How do you feel you've been able to take some of the things that you've learned while being you know, back home and as you've journeyed here to the West Coast and evolved within your career, how have you been able to take some of those things that you've learned along the way um, to really continue to grow and accelerate, not just for yourself, but really amplifying the, the voices of other women within the industry, even through your podcast? Well, that's a loaded question. Uh, I think the bottom line at the end of the day is just like never giving up and really believing in yourself. 
I came into the industry in publishing, which is not necessarily the most glamorous part of the business, but I kept an open mind and I always wanted to do the best that I could. And uh, I stuck with it because I realized that there's a competitive advantage learning the operations of a business and not necessarily always being in a front-facing role next to the artist or as a lawyer or as A&R or marketing person. Um, those people tend to get most of the recognition. Um, but now, as an executive, 10 years, 10 years as an executive in the music industry, uh, as a woman of color in this business, you don't see many of us um, to begin with. And so you're constantly needing to uh, prove yourself. And I'm no exception. Uh, it gives me a little bit more insight into just the industry trends and what's uh, to be expected and how to and how to run, truly run a music business. Um, I mean, I think at every turn I've you know, whenever I was being put into a box or being told to keep my head down or, you know, not being offered an opportunity to grow or expand in my in my skill sets, I've created opportunities outside of work that would help fill fill my soul, essentially, like give me a way to express myself while also lifting up other voices, because uh, first of all, I didn't want to feel like I was in it alone. Um, and second of all, because we're all pretty much experiencing the same things in this business. And that's what the podcast actually highlights is that, um, first of all, it gives us a, a space to freely talk about some of the things that we've experienced, not necessarily uh, with individual companies that we work for, because we try to veer from that um, aspect of it, but more so as a woman of color, the kinds of uh, microaggressions or uh, the tropes that we are having to deal with or having to, how we are navigating, um, you know, communicating with people, uh, how we are requesting uh, access or promotions and things of that nature, how we advocate for ourselves, or even on the, on the flip side, which is, um, you know, some of, the, some of the bad things that we're experiencing, some of the things that, you know, might be disheartening, like, gaslighting ourselves or being underpaid or, you know, be, uh, being overworked, which is something that can easily happen happen in this industry because, uh, you know, it's a 24-hour job for a lot of people. So, um, which is another reason why I advocate for learning about the business, the operations side, because you do have a little bit more flexibility with work-life balance when you're not necessarily in a front-facing role. So, um, yeah, I think that it's just, we have to learn how to speak up for ourselves and each other, learn to lift each other up. And I just feel privileged and blessed that I'm able to create some of those safe spaces uh, to do that. I love something that you said so much when you spoke to sometimes being put in a box and not necessarily letting that deter you from your path and your mission, but taking that fuel and using it in other ways outside of the corporate structure, what advice would you give or encouragement would you give to those women who do feel like they have been gaslighted or they're not necessarily receiving their worth or they're feeling as if they have to constantly 
prove themselves. And of course, as women of color, a lot of times we do um, have to, we feel the need to prove ourselves and, you know, to advocate for ourselves a lot more than our counterparts. And, you know, at the executive level, also, there's not a lot of people that look like us. (laughs) So what advice would you give as an executive, being in some of those rooms and hearing from other women of color within the industry, how can we really um, tap into our our power to advocate for ourselves, especially in such, uh, at times, disheartening or um, difficult industry? Uh, that's a great question. How do we advocate for ourselves and each other? There's so many, so many different ways, I think. This industry has a way of making you feel like you have to have a crabs in a barrel mentality, like there's not enough room for all of us to shine. And that's really just not true. And and from from where I stand and from my experience, every time I've tried to tap into another woman of color who's either, you know, well beyond me in my career or even, you know, just entering into the business, we're more than, you know, willing to work with each other and collaborate. We get to see ourselves in each other. And then we also get to, you know, make room for the next person because we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. Um, And the other thing in terms of like advocating for yourself is you have to know your worth. You have to know what you're bringing to the table and you have to know when to establish boundaries. Um, You have to know when to say, you know what, that just doesn't work for me or I don't have the bandwidth to handle that or, hey, I need some help with this. Um, We have a tendency as women of color to think that we have to exude this uh, strength, which strength is great in terms of resiliency, um, but that also plays against us sometimes. Um, we're human. <laughs> we're human beings, and sometimes we just need someone else to, um, you know, see see what we're uh, struggling with and say, "Hey, I, I can help you out with this." Um, and so, you know, while we are super women in a way, you know, I, I think that women of color are we've got the special sauce. I say it all the time. We've got the special sauce. Um, we make everything, you know, ten times better. Um, yes, but, facts. you know, <laughs> but, uh, and I think the industry knows that, um, it's just now they're making way for us in, in, in ways that they hadn't before. So it's important for us to use this time to really stand up for ourselves and say, you know what, I know, I know what I bring to the table. And if you're not able to, you know, help me out in that way, if you're not able to at least meet me halfway, then I have the power to make a choice and say, this doesn't work for me and and not be afraid to move on. You know, it, honestly, it's like it's with anything in life. It's with anything in life, not just, the, you know, working in the business or any industry. It's just as a person, <laughs> as a human being, um, you have to know when to say, you know, I, I just don't have it. I just don't have it in me right now to do this, or I just, I'm not, um, I'm not in a position to handle this type of situation. I need some assistance. Um, and we are like notoriously bad at letting some of that weight off of our shoulders. We think we have to carry all of it, but we can lean on each other, um, for help. And, um, I found that, that's actually helped tremendously in my growth um, to say, you know what, 
I'm struggling, you guys. I'm drowning right now. You you guys understand my plight because you share it. How can we help each other? And um, that that was that would be the advice I would give to other women. So everyone, it is okay to ask for help. It is okay to set boundaries. I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think sometimes even though we may know it in the back of our heads, like, hey, I don't necessarily have the bandwidth to be able to handle this. Sometimes you're right. We don't vocalize that or we don't necessarily say it out loud and set those boundaries in place. So everyone starts at a different place in in their career. And as far as resources are concerned, are there any resources that you would recommend for women who are looking to um, either learn more just about the music business, whether they're on the side of artistry or whether they do aim to be an executive, what resources would you recommend starting with as far as learning the business and educating themselves before um, just leaping in or pursuing different opportunities? Well, first of all, I'll plug my podcast, Pub Royalty Queen Podcast, because um, I started it as a vehicle to share our voices and our experiences. I didn't have many mentor, female mentors in this space, and I've had to learn the hard way of how to how to how to react to certain situ- situations. And so it's kind of like um, it's just you know. It's girl to girl, you know, conversation about different things that we experience, nuances that are specific to the music industry as a woman and as a person of color, um, how to navigate. And so that's a, that's a tool I think is uh, useful for any woman coming that's interested in learning about the business and what to expect. Um, in terms of like the intricacies of business, of music business, I would say... Um, Donald Passman's book, How to Make It in the Music Industry, is like the industry Bible. He does uh, different versions every few years or so uh, to keep up to date. Um, Because I've been in the publishing sector of the business, I tend to lean towards uh, publications about that. But there are so many different resources. I think uh, what I would do is, as a woman of as just a woman in music, join organizations like the Women in Music Organization, for instance. Um, it's a platform that's specifically tailored to women, um, help us to network with each other, which, you know, networking relationships are everything in this business. So um, find yourself in one of those organizations that lean towards uh, women's experiences in this business. Uh, Women in Music. Uh, there's another organization called NABFEME, which is the National Association of Black Female Executives in Music and Entertainment, NABFEME. Um, it's another organization for women in the music industry catering to uh, women of color. And uh, again, just a platform for resources and information and networking, networking, networking. Um, people, I think, are very afraid of putting themselves out there. So what I tend to do to prepare, because, I, you know, I'm a confident girl, but I get, you know, anxiety every now and then. Um, Wait, you? No way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a regular human being, just like everyone else. Uh, I 
I've actually gone to one of my um, former bosses and asked them, how do you just walk into a room and own it? And she said to me that, well, it's not like I know everyone. It's not like I have relationships with everyone in those rooms. It's that I know that I'm the best at what I do. Oh, yeah, that's good. And so what I tend to do before almost every meeting or any presentation or, uh, you know, any important conversation that I'm about to have, I look at myself in the mirror and I hype myself up and I say, you know, you're the best at what you're doing. You have the information. You know what you're doing, you know. Um, and it gets me ready um, to set the intention for whatever conversation I'm about to enter into. So um, I would offer that as kind of a tool as well to just, you know, be comfortable with looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, you know what, you got this. You got this. You know, I love it. Absolutely. And before we let you go, I have a fun game from our friends over at Tia's Top 5. I'm going to ask you two rapid fire questions. They're all going to be the top five of something. It's music related. So are you ready? Let's go. All right. Top five female artists. Who are your, your like, top, if you had to pick top five right now? Aretha Franklin, Lauren Hill. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm a classic soul girl. So um, Lauren Hill, Alicia Keys. Um, oh, my goodness. Nina Simone. And hmm, Beyonce, I mean, she's the, the biggest entertainer, entertainer around right now. So absolutely. The fact that you just started with Aretha, I already love it. Okay. How about top five deceased artists you wish you could have seen live? Ooh, Michael Jackson. Of course. Oh, man. So many. Uh, obviously, Aretha Franklin. I would have loved to see her live. Nina Simone. Practically the people that I mentioned, um, Prince, and one last one, um, Janis Joplin. Mm. Wow. Yeah. You get so Tia's top five, the, the music game always stomps me sometimes, <laughs> but they're the best questions. And, and for lovers of music, it's just a, a fun game. And I really appreciate all that you're doing to just educate and advocate for women in the music industry, not just as an executive, but as your daily mission. And for those who don't know you, who do know you, or who want to get to know more about you, where can they find you? They can find me at Pub Royalty Queen on Instagram, uh, pubroyaltyqueen.com. I also do mentorship through a platform called Jamcard, J-A-M-M-C-A-R-D. Um, and on Facebook, I am slash pub royalty queen. Uh, and I believe that's it. But yeah, that's that's me, pub royalty queen. So guys, make sure you stream the pub royalty queen podcast. It is really dope. She has a lot of just dope women on there. And I feel you'll learn so much more and just be able to resonate with so many of the guests that she has. Thank you so much, Janisha. We really appreciate you stopping by. Guys, don't forget to rate this episode along with the podcast. It's how we get to even more listeners, how we continue to do what we do here at the State of Film Art. Janisha, thank you again. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the State of Film Art Podcast. You can catch new episodes bi-weekly on Thursdays. And make sure that you connect with us by following us on Instagram at SoFilmArt. And you can also visit our website and listen to past episodes at SoFilmArt.com.